folks of our congregation to talk about this when everybody's in the auditorium on Sunday morning. We have so many teachers out in a youth class. On Thursday night we have a youth class, and yet uh, other teachers involved in children's church and, and such. Well, I did make this statement. I said, what I'll do, I'll summarize this on a Sunday night. And I, I do have several more lessons that I want to talk about. Some of you may think that I'm just driving this point into the ground. So I'm just trying to drive it into your heads and hearts. <laughs> but sometimes uh, <clears throat> it's uh, about the same as driving it in the ground, I guess. No, I'm just joking. <clears throat> I'm just joking. Too long ago, I hit myself real hard on the head, and Sister Grant told Charlie, said, it's a good thing you got hit on the head, otherwise it would have hurt him. (laughs) I I would like to make an expression of thanks to my lovely wife, because my wife has been such a great supporter of the convictions that I preach behind the pulpit for the duration of of my ministry, and I love and appreciate her, not just for that, but I want you to know, Sister Grant, that I love you and appreciate you for being so supportive. Isn't she a sweetheart? She really is. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. To have a good helpmate, a good spouse, someone that uh, stands with you is such a great asset. Now tonight, what I want to do, I'm going to be talking about a separation, but uh, of course I preached on it this morning, and uh, I am, I'm hearing comments all over, you know, about what I'm saying, and I, I, I made this statement last Thursday. I made it this morning. Uh, you know, I have very broad shoulders, and if anyone uh, intends to get up in arms about this, I am willing and ready to talk about it. Uh, I do believe that uh, the strongest doctrine in the Bible outside the doctrine of salvation is the doctrine of separation. And they go hand in hand. Because Jesus said, you cannot hold hands with God and mammon. Light hath no fellowship with darkness. I don't know where you could turn in the Bible and read very long without running across the doctrine of separation. And there are two kingdoms represented in the world today. And that is a spiritual kingdom and the kingdom of this world. That is the system by which Satan has set up his kingdom. And they are hostile, the one uh, toward the other. Now please keep in mind, as a pastor, I am only wanting to do what God wants me to do. The truth of the matter, when a pastor draws a very strong line or takes a strong stand, sometimes it's harder on him than what you might imagine. Because a lot of pressure is placed on on pastors. One pastor, not too long ago, told me that he was changing his stand about holiness as far as outward holiness relative to 
to living is concerned because he said, I'm tired. I'm just tired. I'm just simply tired, he said, of fighting people. And so just let them do what they want to do. Well, I uh, am concerned. I do not consider myself to be in a conflict with the saints of Calvary Gospel Church. I want you to know that. I, we have some of the most conscientious people uh, here at Calvary Gospel Church that I know of. Very, very uh, mindful of their lives, the way they conduct themselves, and such. And I, I really do appreciate this. I really do. Now tonight is certainly not the summary message that I'd planned on preaching about this. But uh, I want to stay in the subject long enough for you to understand that I could probably take several months behind the pulpit and not cover all of the scriptures concerning this. I would not exhaust the valuable pieces of scripture that are there. I could do this without repeating myself. And this this is something that, that we need to understand. Now, I also made reference to, to uh, being a pastor. I am subject to mistake, and I do make mistakes. I would not want you to think that whenever I stand behind the pulpit that everything I say, that, that, that I equate it with, with Scripture, or that I feel that, that God always speaks through me exactly like He did the prophets who gave a Scripture in the Old Testament. Because I don't feel that way. I do feel, however, that I have a good line of logic relative to wishes and desires for the congregation, all of which I feel that that it's my responsibility to uh, project to you. I also feel that that uh, when I am speaking Scripture and reading Scripture, that you, you should be very careful as to how you... Uh, what should I say? You have to be very careful... Uh, you do not want to launch an attack against God. Now, you may against Pastor Grant and survive, but you want against God and survive. And I do know also that, that we are right in the midst of one of the greatest battles against the human race, and more specifically against the church, that the church has ever experienced. And, and as, as I preached this morning... Uh, and some of you were not in here this morning, but let me just tell you, I, I talked from, uh, from Matthew 24 about the days of Noah and also Matthew 6, the big, the big, uh, question mark that comes to a lot of people's mind as to why the world reached the place that it reached before God destroyed Israel. Not Israel, pardon me, destroy the world. Now this is prior to the call of Israel. And the Bible makes it very plain in, in, in Genesis 6 that the primary 
reason that the imaginations of man became continually wicked was that the sons of, da- of God married the daughters of men. And, and in other words, there was the breaking down. Uh, they, if you go to Revelation 2, the letter to Pergamos, the word Pergamos means married. They adhered to the doctrine of Balaam. And the doctrine of Balaam was, see the way of Balaam and the doctrine of Balaam, two different things, but nevertheless, it pretty much encompasses the same philosophy, the way and the doctrine. But the doctrine of Balaam was that, that he would not curse what God did not curse. And Balak, who was a Moab uh, king, uh, feared Israel. He feared them drastically because of what they had done to the Amorites. And so he ran across Balaam, the prophet of God, and, and he asked Balaam if he would go and curse them. All of which, you know, he, he could not do because he was a prophet of God. And, of course, on his way there... Uh, to deliver a message, uh, the donkey that he rode on withstood and was just balked and wouldn't go. And you've no doubt read the story in Numbers 22 and 23 about this encounter that Balaam had with his donkey. The donkey actually reasoned with him and talked with him. Good horse sense. And so, you know, the donkey said, now, why are you beating me? He said, I've carried you on my back all these years. I've gone every place you've asked me to go, but I cannot go (laughs) to the camp of of the Israelites. I cannot do that. And, of course, then the angel of God uh, revealed himself standing between the donkey and Balaam and delivered a message. Balaam goes back, and his final word was, well, I cannot curse the children of Israel. However, I do have a plan. And the plan was that there's some mighty fine-looking girls in Israel. And if you men would lay down your swords and and spears and implements of war and don't go down there as a hostile group, but go down there as a friendly group, put on your best-smelling cologne and look your best and, and put on the charm, and when you go down, you can charm those women, and you can marry them. Thus, you have nothing to fear, because after a while, you'll all be on the same side. And th- this business of Balaam, God seemingly has never gotten out of his cross, so to speak. There are certain things that, that God seems to never get over. Now, I know that God forgives and he forgets, but I'm not for sure he forgets things. In fact, I'm sure he doesn't, that people do not repent of. Now, in Jude, the general epistle of Jude, this is not the text that I'm planning on reading from. Uh, That is for my message tonight. But uh, if you would be so kind as to turn there, well, why don't we just go ahead and stand? We'll read this anyway, huh? I'll just alter my notes later on to fit my message. But <clears throat> if you notice what's happening in, in, in Jude is a general epistle. It's speaking basically to the children of disobedience. 
I will therefore, verse 5, put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angel, angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains unto darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, notice verse 8. Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, Durst not bring against him railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gangsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feast of charity. Now, what I'd like for you to do is just be seated and and we'll do, do some more reading. But I just want to call your attention. Notice the era of Balaam. It's the way of Balaam. It talks about this. In other words, the old saying is, if a man won't make a stand for something, he'll fall for anything. And it is it is unfortunate that that that. that this happened. It also talks about uh, spiritual authority. Uh, talks about uh, Korah. Cori, it mentions here in, in, in the Greek, but in the Old Testament it was Korah. Uh, Korah uh, led a rebellion against Moses. And God came and opened up the earth and swallowed him up along with his children. I, I think that we need to understand that, that God does have a system, and, and that system is that he has put leaders in the church. And, and while leaders are in the church, uh, the leaders must understand the value of following Scripture. In other words, I don't think that I have a choice but to follow Scripture. I, I have to get up and read the Scripture and follow the scripture. And there are many, many things that pastors determine that sometimes it takes them months and a lot of counseling with their peers and fasting and prayer before a decision is made. It's amazing to me how some people who don't claim to be very spiritual, who never attend prayer meetings, never raise their hand to fast or pray, they always have a quick answer. They come up with it just in a, just in a brief moment's time. Now, we're talking about some of the real issues of life. And I don't care how you interpret separation. You must understand, if you read Scripture, if, you're, if you've got a, a, a one ounce of logic in you, you have to understand that the Bible stresses separation 
all the way from Adam and Eve in the garden all the way to to when the curtain is pulled upon time and eternity. You, you have to you have to know that because it's it's there. It's constantly there in the scripture. Now what happens with men when they disagree with leaders, sometimes without carefully praying and seeking the matter, they become quite, uh, what should I say, they become very quick to judge. And when they become quick to judge, naturally they have accusations against their their leader. And this is something that, that we need to be very careful about. Now I have spiritual leaders over me, you know that. Doctrinal questions in the Bible, by the way, were never settled inside of local assemblies, but they were settled outside of local assemblies. And epistles then, or letters, were written back to the churches concerning those. In other words, I don't think that I have a right to stand before this church and come up with some doctrine that is somewhat foreign or indifferent to uh, the, the body of Christ. It, it is not mine. That's a safeguard for you. It's also a safeguard for me. However, if I don't understand that particular principle, I might come up with one thinking that, that I am superior uh, to my brothers of like precious faith. And, 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 th- and th- this has happened. But inasmuch as I ask people to be obedient to God and obedient to the leaders that God has placed over them, I must also be subject and obedient to those who are over me. That's just, that is just the way that it is. And if you notice, uh, Jude goes into a line of logic. He says, now the angels, being much more knowledgeable than you, they would not bring railing accusations against uh, particular individuals. Now, Second Peter 2, verse 2, chapter 2, uh, verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Same subject that Jude's addressing. Now that's Second Peter 2, verse 9. Verse 10, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-will, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Now, I, I think this is something, here is a principle that is so important. When, when, when you are raising your children, you need to raise your children to respect government. You need to raise your children to respect elders. You need to raise your children to respect spiritual leaders. And you also need to raise your children to respect you. And if you are not the head of your household, you need to raise your children to respect the head of the household. Now, that is, that is, a, that is a principle that is taught in the Bible. Uh, and, of course, this goes hand in hand with, uh, it goes hand in hand with, with the doctrine of separation. Let me tell you something. Twice this week, I have heard the statement made concerning women. Well, I'm a woman of the 90s. I've heard that twice. That's, and the explanation was that I don't think like uh, the average person. That right now there's ingrained in me a philosophy that's contrary. 
to the normal thinking of what we would call the woman of the past. Now, both times it was used, it was used in direct reference to defy spiritual leadership. In other words, nobody's going to tell me what to do. See? Well, if you look at the church at Thyatira in the book of Revelation, you will find that this church had the doctrine of Jezebel. Jezebel was a married woman with an unmarried spirit. And that was the problem with her. In other words, she was just footloose and fancy free to say what she wanted to say, to do what she wanted to do, to connive the way she wanted to connive, to live and dress the way she wanted to live and dress. And, of course, she is noted in the Old Testament for painting her face. Now, I just threw that in because I might talk about that a little bit. But... In verse 11 of 2 Peter 2, Whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. Now, that simply means that angels, greater in power and might, that means that my guardian angel sees me 24 hours of the day. And, and if God has more than one guardian angel around me, they, they see me. They see me when you don't see me. They see me when there's nobody around. And most people are not quite as careful when nobody's around as they are when someone is around. You know, in other words, if they just watched over you at church, you know, you'd be a fool here at church to act otherwise, wouldn't you? But but when you get out, when nobody can see you, So that simply means that my guardian angel that stands by me and protects me, that ministers strength and deliverance to me and wisdom, all of which angels do, that if I make a blunder, and I have made my share of blunders, I've got to tell you, if I make a blunder, the Bible says the angel that is in charge of guarding me is smart enough not to go back to the kingdom of God, not to go back to the throne room and say, hey, you know what Pastor Grant did today? Now, he should know better because I was there last Sunday when he preached this. Now, see, that's what that's what Jude is saying. And, and that's also what, what Peter is saying. In other words, that angel's smart enough not to go back and bring accusation against me. Now... Why would an angel not know, want not do that? Because he understands that the final judgment is left up to God, and God is omniscient. He sees it too. So why think that you can go to the throne room and involve God in a conversation about Pastor Grant, about some blunder he made? He said, oh no, that's not the way we do it. And you know, sometimes people get their heads together, and they think that, you know, Nobody saw this but them, and so they've got some railing accusation against someone. You've got to be careful now. I say you have to be careful. And that's what the Bible says. Now, they're presumptuous. In other words, presumptuous means they presume, or they make assumptions about things that quite often they, they, don't, they don't have any idea. You know, there, there's hardly anyone in this church that you are really qualified to judge. 
because you do not have all the information relative to why they conduct themselves the way they do. And, and so you have to be very careful about this. Now the Bible says these are natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. Speak evil of the things that they understand not. In other words, it's easy to open your mouth and start talking about things that you don't even understand, that you know nothing about. And shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Now, what uh, what I want to do then is, it's just, I just want to, I, I, I said all that to say that, that, that the whole kingdom of God and the system is built upon trust. And, and I would trust that, that, that after several years of observing Pastor Grant and observing Sister Grant, that many of you would understand that I really have no personal agenda of my own, that I have taught separation simply because I believe separation. I've taught separation because I believe that's what God expects and what God requires. And, and if you have a problem with it, why don't you take it up with the Lord? You know? In other words, take it up with the Lord. But I, I have found out that many problems with this really do not occur among people who are fasting and praying and are with the program. They usually occur with people who are out on the periphery that don't even claim uh, until they come to church to be Christians. But when they get in the church and they hear things like, oh, you know what he said, you know. Somebody even told me this morning, somebody opened him and I said, Oh, Brother Grant said women weren't supposed to put on pants. Well, I never said that this morning. I never did. But I'm saying it now. In other words, I'm not afraid to say that, but I did not say that. You follow what I'm saying? So what I'm saying is, if you know, I've got very broad shoulders. If you want to get upset about it, you just get upset about it. That's all I can say. But I am only trying to do what I believe God wants me to do and to say what I believe God wants me to say and be what God wants me to be. That's all I'm trying to do. Now, it's purely optional on your part. In other words, you can do it if you want to do it. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. The sad thing about it is that it may be judgment day that reveals who's right or who's wrong in this. And if you get to judgment day and it's not required of you, you're going to say, well, that wasn't a big deal anyway. But if you get to judgment day and it is required of you, and you're short on judgment day, then you lose, and you lose drastically. All right? Now, I have gone into a, a, quite a bit of this message, but y y you see, when, when Israel... I'm, I'm talking about the doctrine of separation over the weeks. So I, I can't cover all of it. I'm not trying to summarize it. Just trying to go a little bit different direction tonight. When Israel started straying, they always strayed because of guess who? Their leaders not being in tune with God. See, that's, that's the problem. They always, now you've always got somebody out on the periphery that, that when leaders are strong, and such, and, and they talk, and, and they warn. You, you always have some people out there that, that are not going to follow. But, but the bulk of the people in Israel, they failed when there was not a spiritual leader. 
Jeremiah is prophesying to Israel prior uh, to her destruction. And maybe I should say Judah. Actually, she pro- Jeremiah prophesied to Judah. Israel was already taken into captivity. But uh, the Bible says in Jeremiah 12, verse 10, Many pastors have destroyed my vineyard. They have trodden my portion underfoot. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. They have made it desolate, and being desolate, it mourneth unto me. The whole land is made desolate, desolate because no man layeth it to heart. And layeth it to heart simply means that the preachers or the prophets in Israel didn't take this thing seriously. That's what it's saying. They didn't take it seriously. So as a result, they just they kind of got tired of fighting, I guess. And, and they, they, they sought for popularity or something. Now, I know that I'm not going to win any popularity contest. You know, if I preached everything exactly the way you wanted to hear it, I probably still wouldn't win one. But nevertheless, Brother Manley says right. But nevertheless, <laughs> but, but nevertheless, I just want to be right with God. And I want to see you make heaven your home. And the things that are stressed in the Bible, I feel duty bound to stress them in the same proportion in which God stresses them. In other words, if God spends a lot of time on something, I feel I need to spend a lot of time on it. If God spends a little time on something, I need to address it. But I shouldn't make that the meat of my message every Sunday night or Sunday morning or Thursday. doesn't mean it's not important. It just simply means that there are certain things that you just simply preach and they add to the whole of something else. But the doctrine of separation is a doctrine that cannot be treated that way because it is mentioned over and over and over. You know what God did to Israel? The Bible says that that He simply put a writing of divorcement in her hand, Judah, and sent her away. In other words, when, when God sent Judah away, the Bible says He put a writing of divorcement in her hand and put and, and sent her away. Why? He said, Because you've gone by the way of your sister Israel, that I had to do the same too. Be, because, you know, you just you had wicked kings, kings that didn't take this thing at heart. And, and, and what happened then, you went back and you build your groves and things to, to idols. And you always had a point of worship. And the amazing thing about it is this, that man will not be, man will not be captured by non-religious forces. He will be captured by religious forces. Now, the Freedom from Religion Foundation, I've got news for them. Because the Bible tells us that the only way that man will be dominated, even in the tribulation period when God is not dealing with people, is through a false prophet and an antichrist who performs great miracles among the people to win their love and their fidelity. That's the only way the human race can be dominated. Now... That simply means that when people are not in compliance to God's law, doesn't mean they always just walk away from God. That simply means that they go ahead and live the way they want to live, and yet they are capable of talking Jesus Christ. And, and, and of course, this was true of Israel. It was true of Judah. 
And, and so as a result, uh, uh, listen to this. When thou art spoiled, what wilt thou do? Though thou clothest thyself with crimson, though thou deckest thyself with ornaments of gold, though thou riddest thy face with paintings, in vain shall thou make thyself fair. Thy lovers will despise thee. They will seek thy life. In other words, what God tells Judah is, I don't care how much you try to look like the world, that once God has separated you, once he has anointed you, once he has put his hand upon you, once you have taken his name, you will never, never, never be the same. Now you may look like the world, you may dress like the world, you may act like the world, but there's something about you that's going to be different. And that's exactly what the Lord is saying. They're going to despise thee. That's what they're going to do. Now, the scripture that I had intended to read to start with is from the Song of Solomon, the second chapter, verse 15. Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. And I want to speak tonight on the subject, details make the difference. And it's just 8.30 and I'm just now starting my preaching, all right? No, it's 7.30, so I... I almost said 8.30. I almost cheated myself out of an hour. No, I'm not planning on holding you that long. Some of the things that I have said in my opening remarks are actually a part of my message. But you, you see, you've been in our Christian stewardship classes, and I use this when I talk about the balance between a work relationship and a love relationship. The, the balance between responsibility and liberty. Luke 6.38, unto whom soever much is given of him shall much be required. No, that's not Luke 6.38, I'm sorry. That is Luke 12.48, I think. <clears throat> Luke 6.38 has to do with giving. Give and it shall be given unto thee. Well, at any rate, here is, this, here is the situation that uh, we find that uh, <clears throat> there is a uh, a young girl. This scripture seems to be totally out of context. See of the of, of the of, of this this whole book, because the whole book talks about a love relationship, a relationship that a fair young lady has with her lover, and, and they are engaged. In other words, they're going to get married. And 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 you know, it, it's amazing to me that how love can can. It is really a sickness, isn't it? I mean, it really is. You get you get in. You get love sick, and guess what happens? Your brains just kind of fall out. You know, just wow, everything makes sense if 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 uh, the person that that you're in love with is involved in it. Uh, young men will drive all the way across the country and run the wheels off their car just to see uh, someone. And uh, <clears throat> I'm looking at Brother Jeff right now because I remember when he and Sister Valerie were dating. Uh, it wasn't very far to Des Moines. It's 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 amazing, you know, that Des Moines. Was was only seven hours away, and you know, but before before they they fell in love, I mean, it was a long, long ways down to Des Moines. But after they fell in love, I mean, to drive it after church, go down on Sunday, and drive back on Sunday night, go to work on Monday. So that's what love causes you to do. If you look uh, in 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 Solomon two. Uh, 
Verse 4, he bought me to the banqueting house. His banner over me was love. Stay me with flagons. Comfort me with apples. For I am sick of love. Now, sick of love means love sick. I am love sick. And, and I want to just say this, that, that there's nothing wrong with being love sick. But when people are in love, they can do some very strange things and justify them in their own minds. You know? And I would say that the key to a good, happy, successful marriage is that you need to stay in love. Uh, Sister Sister Grant and I do some very wild and indifferent things sometimes. Just, you know, just because we love each other. Just, you know. Now, you know as crippled up as I am, I'm not capable of getting too wild, you know, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's, it, it is a wonderful, wonderful feeling to, to still be in love after 35 years of marriage. I'm serious with you. And, and recently I've had to do some traveling, and she couldn't go with me. And I'm telling you, I got so homesick before I left, I couldn't stand myself. I wasn't even gone. I told her, I said, I, I just I can't go. She said, you've got to go. I said, but you've got to go with me. She says, no, I can't. I said, tell me one reason why you can't go with me. She said, oh, there are many. I said, just tell me one. She said, they are many. I said, just tell me one. I just can't. Now, women can get by with that. Men can't. You know. I said, hon, please. You know, I'm just dying of a broken heart. I said, "I, I, I, I can't. I just... You, you, I, 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 I just can't. I came in not too long ago, and I'll tell you, it, it was the longest week. You know, I found out when I started traveling alone that, that some weeks have more than seven days. <clears throat> Sister, Sister Grant picked me up at the airport, and I said, Charlie... Why did you come with my wife to pick me up? He said, well, I just wanted to drive her here. I said, she's capable of picking me up without you. He said, well, I don't understand. What's the big deal? I said, well, you just don't understand, do you? Well, he was driving over by Oscar and making all those turns. I was in the front seat of the van. I just kind of leaned it back. My wife was behind. And, and I said, "Hun, just lay your hands on me and pray for me. She said, are you sick? I said, well, I've got something wrong with me that I know that a doctor could not cure. Just your gentle touch. <clears throat> Can you believe that? <laughs> Now, this is getting terrible, but I'll tell you one thing, Sister Grant and I will have a good time when all y'all are gone tonight. (laughs) I sure love you, darling.
I don't know how she puts up with me. I don't know how you folks put up with me. <clears throat> what charm she has. Really. Take a real saint to live with me. I heard a wee little voice back there someplace said amen. Now, you have to understand when, when God told Israel that I am jealous of thee with a godly jealous. That, that he was in love with Israel. And he wanted intimacy with Israel. He cared for her. He loved her. He delivered her. He captured her. He rescued her. He cared for her. I know how his heart was grieved when she went after idol gods. I just don't know what I would do if all of a sudden I found out that my wife of 35 years was looking at somebody else. I just simply don't know what I'd do. I guess I'd just have to go down to the local hardware store and buy a big rope and hang myself. (laughs) That was just a joke, by the way. You understand what I'm saying, though? If you can understand how God must have felt when she had other lovers. See. Now, I know I'm talking about some mushy stuff, kind of stuff, but the book of Solomon is filled with that. But here's the thing that I want to point out, that in the midst of all of this carrying on about how much we love each other and how much we want to be together and all of this, it's like there's a scripture out of context, and that scripture is verse 15. It's as if someone walked through, opened the door, came into the room where this young lady was looking out the window, full of romance, waiting on her fiance and someone saw that far away look in her eyes and said why are you so dressed up where are you going so I have a date tonight kind of reading between the lines you understand that now the person said date where are you going Well, you know, I'm in love. Well, but tonight is your night to watch the vineyard. Because the little foxes, see, come in. And when the grapes are tender and when they're sweet, they nibble away and destroy the crop. Somebody has to do this. And you know, I've found in life that the thing that really tears a church apart, tears an individual's life apart, it's not usually the big roaring lion. I know Satan is, has a mighty roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But it, 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 it's those little bitty foxes just nibbling away, a grape here and a grape there, 
A grape here and a grape there. A grape here and a grape there. After a while, there's no harvest. Now, it would be real easy for us to just stop praying, stop some of our evangelistic efforts and such, and after a while, we would all look back and we'd say, I wonder what happened to Calvary Gospel Church. You remember when we used to have four or five people at an altar praying through? You remember? And, and some churches become only glorious in memory. That's it. And, and you know what I, I, amazes me, and, and, and I, I plan on stepping on some toes, because I can't avoid it. But what amazes me is this. That the people who are the least supportive of prayer, the least supportive of separation, the least supportive of things that, that bring the power of God upon a congregation, when those people come, they always want the church to be on fire. You know? So if I'm addressing anyone that's, that, that fits into that category, now we pray for many reasons, but I want to address you more specifically. You may say, why all this fasting and prayer? Why all these outreach services over in Simpson Broadway Street? Why all the pre-service prayer? What about all these people with their conservative lifestyles and such? We're just trying to make the service interesting enough to keep you coming. Because if we dropped it and the services became dead, dull, and boring, you'd be the first one to criticize it. You see, when Israel went into the promised land... When they crossed Jordan's River, they picked up 12 stones from the midst of the river and they made a monument. I don't know how big the monument was, but, but God told Joshua to do this because he said there's going to be a day in which you need to refer back to those stones. In other words, you will leave a legacy. For your children. And you know in my Christian walk with God. One of the greatest things. That I have. Is a memory. In other words a few stones stacked up. When I'd ask my grandfather. Papa Wallace we called him. Papa. I said what, what, what's this all about? And, and he would tell me. And my grandma Wallace. Mama Wallace we called her. What's this all about? My dad's mother and dad I never met. Both of them passed away before I was born. But my mother's mom and dad, I spent hour after hour after hour after hour after hour. 
My grandfather could not read or write. He only went to the third grade. He told me he spent eight years going to the third grade. Why did he not learn to read and write? Because he was a sharecropper's son. And he had to work in the fields. He said, I only went in December and January. That's all I could go to school. So he couldn't read and write. And my grandmother had to open the Bible and read. But some of the fondest memories I've ever had evolved around sitting out on the porch with the bright stars shining like a well-lit ceiling. And my grandfather leading us in prayer and talking out into the empty air to a God that he never seen with his mortal eyes. But he told God how he delivered him from alcohol. He told God how he delivered him from the vices of the world. He told God how he delivered him. And it's left an impression on my heart. In other words, those were stones by the river Jordan that told me that God was a deliverer. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He would remember where scriptures were, that he and he could quote scriptures, but he couldn't read. I was very good in math, and I could never could figure that out. But he was. I'd go with him to auctions. He'd buy cattle. He'd tell me, now, son, this one's going to sell for so much a pound. This cow weighs 875 pounds. He's going to figure it out. He said, now, this will be, and he'd, he'd be with him just a few dollars. So now how can he do that? I seen him walk up to a wagon loaded with cotton. He'd, he'd press on it. He said, they haven't pushed this down. This is kind of fluffy, you know, the density. He said, now, let me see. There must be, he said, the, there's probably a bale of cotton on this wagon. A bale of cotton, he said, an average bale weighs 550 pounds to 600 pounds. And, and this will probably be, be a small bale here. He'd buy that cotton, see. Before we went to the gym. He said, no, I, I, I'm going to have to add some cotton to that one. I'm going to have to pack it down. Now, he can figure all that. I don't know. He could read figures, but he couldn't read writing. Like the, the story of the man that was a farmer, and somebody stopped and said, how far is it down to the next farm, our next city? He said, well, it's 46 miles. The man started getting his car. He said, by the way, what is the next city? He said, I don't have any idea. He said, I never ventured off that far. He said, well, how could you know? He said, well, that's what the sign says. He said, but it also says the name of the city, doesn't it? He said, yeah, the problem is, he said, I can read figures, but I can't read writing. And, you know, you ask me, how far is it to heaven? I don't really know. In this case, I can read the writing, but I can't read the figures. But I do know that it's just around the bend because they've already started... But not signs. You know, you don't drive. You don't drive around the freeway here, and it says Phoenix, seventeen hundred and thirty-five miles. They don't do that. They put up the signs when you get near Phoenix. And you know what? I feel that there's some there's some signs out there that that, that heaven is already posted, saying you're much closer than what you think you are. You're nearer to the shore than what you visualize. 
Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And brothers and sisters, I want to go there. I don't want to be left behind. What made it these stones? But you know what happened? The Bible says in Judges, the second chapter, verse 10, And also all that generation were gathered together unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Can you believe that some little children came by their fathers and said, I want to go for a walk with you, Dad, and they got down by Jordan River. One of the little boys said, Dad, I've noticed this pile of stones down here. They're kind of piled up in order, like maybe they, they mean something. What are these What are these stones for? And, and, and the father says, I don't have any idea. Just don't know. Now, the Bible makes it very plain that this condition came about as a result of something. Judges 17, verse 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. The book of Judges covers a period of 450 years, around 450 years. So, you know, it just didn't happen just, you know, just overnight. But many, many leaders came to the scene, and many of them failed God. Now, the same verse is found in Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, I'm saying this, that it is imperative that you understand the purpose of us having a church. And I like for people to do things because they have convictions. But if you come along with some conviction that's contrary to the church, uh, you know, you need, to, you need to give some very careful thought. And the first thing you need to do, you need to, you need to make a quick trip to the pastor's office. Because you know what happens is, and I've heard, I've heard, this, I've heard this all my life. They, you know, the people were saying this when I was a little kid. But I don't have any convictions about that. Well, that is possible, you know. I mean, it is. It is possible. Now, I'm going to say something that, that, that many of you may not understand. And, and this, is as, this, this is as far as I want to take the subject. You can't tell me, though, that a pastor doesn't hear from God for the people he's responsible for. You, you can't tell me otherwise. Now, I'll make a statement in addendum to this, not about the pastors. I believe that parents hear for their children in cases where children have no convictions against or for. You follow what I'm saying? You know that happens, don't you? Sure you do. You know that happens. Now, going back to the title, details make the difference. You know, sometimes it's just a, a, a small fraction uh, of a second that will determine who wins a race. And I was reading in the paper on the front page not too long ago, I think they had the, the U.S. Open golf tournament. 
And they were talking about every stroke down the fairway and every putt on the green makes a difference. Because many of these games are won by one single stroke. And the difference in the money can be over $100,000. So these men, they were saying in the paper, that when they stand up to hit the ball, they don't just nonchalantly get up there and hit it. They know what they're doing, and they know why they're doing it. And when they putt, they take their time. They carefully consider the grade, the grid and such. Is it downhill? Is it slope? How much will this ball break? How much speed should I hit it with? I mean, they, they consider it all. They become masters at this. And they do that to obtain a worldly crown. It's addressed in Scripture, isn't it? And they say that sometimes the difference between a man playing baseball, he can make a million dollars difference. One man I read became noted for his defensive play. And they said the truth of the matter is he really wasn't that good defensively. It's just that he made a catch in a World Series in which was the catch of a lifetime. And from that day on, his salary was up there. It's just just a little bit. You've seen the pictures of horses racing. You can win the Triple Crown, the Kentucky Derby, the Belmont Stakes, and the Preakness. A horse can do that. He can win that by a total of less than one head. Photo finish, just the nose. You know. And one will go down in history as the greatest horse ever. And the next one, winning second place, may never be remembered. The truth of the matter is, there wasn't much difference in the two. Now, I was also reading several years ago concerning an individual that became a very, very famous diver and swimmer. And this man was saying that, they asked him why he had his head shaved. He said, well, very obvious because, he said, I, I've got to be able to go through the water without any friction, without any resistance. Not only that, he actually oiled himself down, shaved his arms and legs and chest and put a Vaseline on himself so he could slide through the water. Slide through the water. I observed some people playing a Nintendo game. And they got this little, I don't know what it is. It looks like a little guy or something jumping across there. He's either going to eat up or he's going to get eaten up. And a group of people gathered around, and this is the statement that I heard. You know, I keep making the same mistake over and over and over. You know what I'm going to do? 
I'm going to keep playing this until I don't make that mistake. And when I heard that, I thought, God, if somehow I could be that conscientious, if somehow in my life all the blunders and the mistakes that I made, if somehow I could just be so determined, I'm not going to do that again. I'm just not going to do that again. I can't. I can't. You know, there's a stack of stones by Jordan River. It spells deliverance for a lot of people. We've had a whole lot of people in the 23 years that I've been pastor of this church to pray through. A lot of people. I've seen people delivered from alcohol, drugs of all kind, you name it. People out of prisons that had records, stealing, thieving, burglarizing, you name it. I've seen people demon-possessed, seen their lives turned around. Listen, there's a big, big stack of stones at the altar at Calvary Gospel Church. But we don't want one father or mother. To lose sight of what God did. This is the reason why I say bring your children to the altar. Basically, when you bring them to the altar, they may say, what for, Dad? What for, Mom? Pray with them. Set up a family altar. Pray with your children. Please. You know, I, I've talked about this. You know, we, we have people that have VCRs. You know, really, don't, don't be going out and renting these movies that's got bad words in them and all that kind of junk. Feed your precious children with that stuff. America's making heroes out of immoral brats. Don't do that kind of stuff. And you know, when your children are small, teach them what to wear and what not to wear, how to dress and how not to dress and and how to treat people and how to respect people. One man told me, he said, I'm losing my family. I don't know what to do, Brother Grant. He said, it may be too late now, but I'll tell you what I'd do if I were you. I'd find one human being on this planet Earth that I respected. And I'd go into my house and I'd call a family council and I'd brag on that one person. Because this family had lost trust in every human being. It was all because of a person who couldn't get over some bitter things. You're going to lose your family. You're going to lose everything. Take them down by Jordan. Show them the rocks. Tell them there's a God that can deliver. There's a God that forgives. There's a God that can cause the walls of Jericho to fall down flat. There's a God that can pour out manna from heaven. There's a God. There is a God. There is a God that loves and cares. You never 
Let's be sensitive to God now. My people, hear from your pastor tonight. He speaks from his heart. He speaks from wisdom. He speaks from the word. He speaks from love. Understand he is pouring out his love. He is pouring out his heart to you. He wants you to build the stones at the altars of prayer. He wants you to build the stones in your life. He wants you to understand the importance of living for me, saith the Lord, because I am the only one that there will ever be that you can worship and that you can magnify forever, forever, and forever, saith the Lord. Oh, God, I want you to stand right now if you would. I want Brother Manley to come if he would, and I want him to lay hands on me. And any of you elders, preachers that would like to do the same, you come on up. I want Sister Grant to come right here and stand. I want Sister Manley to come and lay hands on her. And all you preachers' wives and elders' wives, I want you to pray for us. Would you do that? In other words, I don't want to be misinterpreted. I only want to be right. Lord, I want your power, I want your love, I want your Holy Spirit, God. I love you, God. I worship you, God. I praise you, God. Strengthen me, O God, and lead me in the path of righteousness for your name's sake, O God. My Lord and my Savior, my Lord and my Savior, my Lord and my Savior. I thank you, O oh God. I thank you, O oh God. I thank you. Savior of heaven. In your name, and 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 your name. Oh, hallelujah! Now, all over the building, all over the building, let's pray for each other. Husbands, pray with your wives. Wives, pray with your husbands. Children, get with your parents. Let's lift each other up.
Let's make a difference with each other. We are solidly behind each other. We are seeking and praying and believing that God's coming after a church that has not spot nor wrinkle and the glory of the Holy Ghost will reign and rule in our lives until such a time that He takes us all home. Let's pray right now. Would you do that? Oh, hallelujah. Lord Jesus, let your glory, let your power, let your Holy Spirit move and flow. Keep us, oh God, in your protective custody and care. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. If you are a single person, get with a single person. Oh, hallelujah. We want everybody prayed with and prayed for right here tonight in the house of God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 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 Dear Lord of heaven, we believe and pray that your Holy Spirit and power is flowing, that the gift of the Holy Ghost was given abundantly on the day of Pentecost, but it is still given today. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. My Lord and my Savior, strengthen us all, Lord, unto that great day of your coming, Lord. For we know, Lord Jesus, oh God, that the tribulation period is coming where men shall run and cry that the rocks would fall on them and hide them from the face of the wrath of the Lamb. Oh God of heaven, we want to be securely fastened on streets of gold around the throne, singing and shouting and praising with our voices unto our God. Oh Savior, 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 God, I love you. I worship you. I praise you. Oh Father of heaven, may your glory move. May your power flow. Take us, God, and use us. Use us, Lord, for the purpose, Lord, for which you have called us. Let us be your children. Let us walk, O oh God, in, in the light, Lord. O oh God, and not in darkness. Let us be separated from this world and the things of this world. O oh God, we have no heroes in this world. You are our hero. You are the captain, Lord, of our salvation, the author and finish of our faith, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. You're the first and you're the last. Oh God, you redeemed us, purchased us, Lord, with the shedding of your own blood. Set us free, Lord, from the bondage of sin and iniquity. You have brought us, Lord, to this high and lofty mountain where we could praise you, oh God, and worship you. You took us out of the valley, Lord, and you put us on the mount, oh God. We want to be transfigurated to the point that we reflect the glory and the power and the Shekinah of God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, 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 Lord, we love you. We worship you. We praise you, oh God. Oh, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And then if we have someone here that needs the baptism of the Holy Ghost, why don't you just step right out? 
come right on down as Sister Grant begins to play tonight and our praise singers come. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, glory, 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 glory. My Jesus, my Jesus, my Jesus. Several people are at the altar already. We want to encourage them to stay, but others perhaps would like to come. Step out right now. Come on, right now. Surrender your life. Surrender your heart to the Lord. Strengthen your relationship with God. Oh, praise God. I will serve thee. Let this be a life change.